Hello, and welcome to this episode of Self Made. I'm your host, D Brown. Joining me on this episode is Nathaniel Clark, the managing partner of Chasm Architecture. Nate founded the company in 2005, and Chasm has become a top-notch, full-service design firm located in Atlanta, Georgia. Nate, welcome to Self Made. So glad to have you on the show today. Glad to see you. Nate, you have a very uh, uh, amazing career, mm-hmm. uh, being uh, in a uh, field that's dominated by non-African Americans, non-minorities. Uh, but I wanted to set the stage by starting with your early life. You grew up in a small Louisiana town uh, from a two-parent household. Tell me what that was like. Wow, uh, just taking it back to 1971. You know, <laughs> we both turned 50 this year. Right. Uh, last year, um, it was a great uh, opportunity just to have uh, both parents in the in the in the household. Uh, it was three of us growing up, uh, and then uh, my little sister, my youngest sister, came 16 years later. So oh wow! <laughs> we call her the uh, the uh, accident or the mistake. But, uh, <laughs> but no, but we talk. We call her the blessing, actually. Yeah. Uh, Angelica is my youngest sister. Uh, Antoinette is my oldest sister, and then I have a younger brother, uh-huh. uh, Rancel, and he's a really good friend uh, of mine. And uh, I always say that if I'm playing basketball, he's always my number one pick, <laughs> even if Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, LeBron James are on the sideline, right? <laughs> uh, but my, my, my mom and my, my dad, you know, they were in the household. Uh, we grew up not just with my parents, but grandparents, uh, great-grandparents. I knew yeah. my, both of my great-grandfathers. Uh, they were both very influential in my life. Uh, my great grandfather actually taught me how to play checkers uh, to the point to where I would allow him to win uh, just so he would continue to play checkers with me. Uh, but it was just a, a wonderful uh, a way to grow up. Uh, yeah. my, my father's a minister. Uh, my mother played uh, the piano uh, for the church and we all sang in the church choir. Yeah. Uh, so it was it was just a really good way to grow up and even though we grew up poor, right? right? We didn't realize we grew up poor until I got to LSU. <laughs> and my friends would say, uh, uh, we're broke, we're broke. And uh, they would say, well, let's go to the ATM. And I would say, ATM? I thought we were broke. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, but no, just growing up uh, around my grandparents, yeah. uh, great-grandparents, my mom and dad, uh, it, it was just, you know, uh, put a lot of work ethic in us. Uh, right, we were, right. They were hard-working folks. Uh, my uncles and aunts were also hard-working folks. And, you know, all of us in that little small community uh, grew up across the street from a, a chemical plant in Sterlington, Louisiana, putting right. Sterlington, Louisiana on the map. Right. Right. And, you know, I've, I've heard this story before because I grew up right. Uh, right across the street or right up the street from a chemical plant. Right. You thought I was talking about you. I thought you was talking about <laughs> me when I heard the story the first few times. Right. But uh, just tell because you, you, you told me once about how you would sit out on the porch and have these dreams and visions. Right. So my mother being, you know, who she was, always into fashion. She would design cakes. She would design wedding dresses and all types of things as a you know person that could sew. She would design hats and all those things. And my father yeah. was in sales. So they would always tell us, listen, the sky's the limit. Do you can do and become anything you want. So we would have Ebony Fashion Fair, right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Magazine laid out on the on the uh, counter uh, at our at our home, right? And during that time, it was just a wonderful example of how we could dream to be something that we weren't seeing. Right. So I look right. out of the window. I'm looking at a chemical plant, you know, and byproducts of fumes and flames blowing. Uh, but then they would take us back and say, "Hey, you can be anything you want to be. You can go to." Uh, Paris, you can go to London, you can go to Africa, 
you can go on safaris, right? You right, can do all right. these things. So it wasn't just the education we were getting at home about being really good kids and being educated first, put your education first. It was really more about expanding your horizons, even though our horizon was a chemical plant, right? right. Yeah, uh, and yeah. a neighborhood with dead end streets and things of that nature. So right. we didn't grow up in urban New York, right? Where it had its own set of circumstances, but you know, living in rural right. Louisiana or rural Mississippi has its own set of, you know, dynamics that- Certainly, yeah. certain, an entirely different set of dynamics, yeah, you know, um, uh, train tracks, you know, right <laughs> by your house. Uh, exactly, speaking of train tracks, my parents <laughs> probably don't know this, but we used to walk across the train tracks that crossed the bridge, right? So yeah. we weren't always doing everything we were supposed to do. Yeah, we did the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> we did the same thing. Right. But you, uh, you know, obviously you've become uh, a, a success uh, especially in the area of architecture and business, and you're in an area where there are not there are not a lot of uh, people of color represented. Right. So, how did you choose an area that it seems that you would be the least likely place for you to be successful? Well, you know, it started in seventh grade, and you know, you've probably you've heard this story before, and I've posted it on LinkedIn. Uh, I played trombone. I was really good at playing the trombone, and I was in uh, seventh grade band. And that was actually the first year because at my high school, Strollington High School, it went from seven to 12. Yeah. Uh, and small single A school. And so I was in there as a freshman and the upperclassmen, we took band with them as well. So uh, just one day uh, I was in there and ghosting on my trombone and uh, four students decided to stand behind me and have a conversation about what black men weren't and what we couldn't be. We couldn't be the president of the United States. Right, we couldn't run an organization or a company. Uh, we couldn't become, you know, uh, or manage, you know, the things that you and I are doing right now. We right. couldn't be on television and doing the things that you're, right. Uh, right. you know, doing uh, for not just for yourself but for us right now. Yeah. So I just really took offense to that and, and and without saying a word. Right, I never even told my parents. I didn't go home crying about it. Right. I only started talking about it after I experienced 15 years of success in my own company. And at that moment in the seventh grade, I decided I would find one of the whitest professions I could find and dominate that profession and be very good at, in that profession and excel in that profession. And I didn't start telling this story until, right, you know, 25 odd years later. Yeah. Uh, after I'd achieved that success for myself. Uh, having gone to uh, Cahoma Community College and then graduating LSU and doing all those things. Yeah. And, uh, I think it's very important not to talk about your success, but that's just be successful. Right. I think right. so many people spend time uh, talking about what they want to do, right? right, instead of just executing your own plan and operating that's at the highest level. You know, right. similar to what you're doing. No, I can't. I can't agree with you more. Yeah. It's uh, the difference between being a talker and a doer. Right. Right. So, but not only did you um, go to LSU, graduate with your degree in architecture, uh, you also won a very covenant award, and you were the first African American to do so. Tell me about that award and what significance it had for you. So I graduated uh, Cahoma Community College in '91, and then before I transitioned to LSU, I actually worked at the plant that had exploded the summer I graduated from Cahoma. 
Oh, and wow. uh, the, it blew out the windows of my house. My 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 uh, I was about to say my daughter, but my my 16 year old uh, younger sister was laying on a pallet yeah. on the floor. And my mother picked her up, ran her out of uh, the home, picked up my grandparents. Uh, and then I ended up working there for one of the largest companies in the world, Brown and Root Braun, mm -hmm. uh, before I transitioned to LSU. I wasn't going to go back to LSU. Right. And you, we talk about these little stories that happen uh, that we, you know, encounter uh, as it relates to our life. Yeah. And I, there was, I met a gentleman on uh, that build and his name was Porter Creel. And Porter Creel and I played checkers um, based upon my being an expert checkers player. <laughs> right. He had never met anybody that could beat him. I used to beat him every day. <laughs> and this guy thought I was really smart and intelligent. And I told him that I wasn't going back to college because I was making really good money at, you know, 19 years old. Yeah. And he said, look, let me tell you something. You're too smart to sit here and play checkers with me. So I'm going to bust your hump until you tell me you're going back to school. Otherwise, I wouldn't have gone back to LSU. So I, I got back on that track yeah. mentally of, you know what, this was part of my dream. And this person has helped to get me back on track to that dream. So I, I went to LSU. Uh, I graduated in four, five and a half years in a six-year program. Uh, I never went to an LSU football game, right? Uh, every football game at LSU, which was a party school when uh -huh. I was right. there, right? right? Uh, I would go to the studio and I would spend at least two hours, not an hour, not 30 minutes. I would spend at least two hours in the studio every home football game for the entire duration I was at LSU. And that was just putting in the work. Right. right? We talk about right. it all right. the time. Discipline. Everybody commitment. wants to be great, but nobody's putting up 400 shots after the game, win or lose. Right. 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 And that's what that award was about. So I think the professors saw I was willing to put in the work. I don't think I was the smartest kid. Right. There's a lot of other guys, yeah. and gir girls uh, that I was friends with in the program that were much smarter. Right. But nobody could outwork me. And right. I think if you put in the work, you become an expert within the field that you're working in. And I think the professors understood that they saw that. And the professors are the guys who voted and awarded me with the College of Design Dean's Medal uh, as uh, you know, in 1996. Right. That was a uh, significant accomplishment, especially um, at a um, non-HBCU institution yes. and breaking that, that, that barrier for um, African-American students in that, in that uh, career, in that field. Uh, I wanted to ask you, though, at LSU, you know, mm -hmm. you started Cahoma transition mm -hmm. to LSU. What was your biggest challenge at, at LSU uh, while pursuing your degree? Money. <laughs> I put myself through LSU. I mean, my parents, the only thing they could contribute was prayers and pats on the back, right? Yeah. I mean, you're looking at LSU, the architecture program was one of the most expensive programs in the university. And we had a project every week. Yeah. And I had to figure out how to use the materials or find materials, purchase materials without an ATM account. So I had to hold, right. you know, a job, full-time job. I was also an R's resident assistant at Kirby Smith, uh, the, the, the boys' dorm on campus. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, you don't know nothing about Kirby Smith, and you smile, right? right. <laughs> so, so, so to all my friends and RAs at, at uh, Kirby Smith, uh, uh, you know, uh, big up. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it was, it was hard. The hardest thing that I experienced yeah. was getting through uh, those years and saving the money I had earned at the plant uh, for those six months and propelling me through that program uh, was 
part of the the toughest thing I've ever experienced. It wasn't necessarily the curriculum, right? You yeah. and I have always worked hard, right? You got to put in the work to be excellent. Right. That wasn't the hard part. Staying up all night in studio, right, uh, with some of my friends, uh, lifelong friends. Uh, but the hardest part was the financial requirement uh, to get through college without student loans. Right, right, right. I didn't have any student loans. Right. I took out a loan the last semester of the last year in school, and I wish I hadn't done it. But I put myself through uh, LSU with prayers and, you know, friends uh, who would loan me materials uh, yeah. and give me favors and things of that nature. So those types of relationships uh, are paramount when you're right. driving a train that, you know, you don't know where it's going and don't have the money to put fuel in the tank. No, look, I, I definitely understand that uh, scenario. But after you graduated from LSU, you went on to work for a uh, majority mm -hmm. uh, architectural firm where you were the first African-American in the state of Louisiana to uh, make partner in a, in a majority firm. Talk to me about that experience and how it ultimately prepared you to uh, be successful at Chasm. So the day I won the Dean's Medal, I wasn't at the event. I was in the studio, which most people would say, why weren't you at the event where you won the award? Right. And I was doing what I do, which was working on a project and letting everybody else do celebratory things. I didn't know I was winning the Dean's Medal. <laughs> I was in the studio putting in work. Yeah. And then my professors came in and said, Nathaniel, I mean, actually, I went by Orlando back then. So that's my middle name. OK. Oh, that's what the O is. OK. Uh, Orlando, Orlando. Um, you just won the Dean's Medal. Where were you? I said, I was in the studio. They said, well, you also got a job with Fred Grace. I said, who is Fred Grace? I had an interview. Yeah. Uh, this guy, Fred, gentleman, Fred Grace, uh, was looking to uh, hire uh, someone, and I won the Dean's Medal, so he, he gave me a position. I never had to interview. I never had to uh, do anything. Never look for a job anywhere else, and uh, stayed with that company for the duration of my career until we started Chasm. And part of that transition was, listen, you gotta be great in order to be in a position where a, an African-American is given the opportunity to become partner yeah. at a majority firm. And I was given the, the opportunity to become a partner at the majority firm and really put in the work um, to achieve that level of status. And it wasn't easy. I mean, my primary mentor is Julian White. He was the first professor he was the first African-American professor at LSU. And he was also an architectural professor and he was my mentor. So the lineage of yeah. that individual and what he brought to me to become a partner in that market uh, was a phenomenal storyline because he and I helped break the glass barrier, the glass ceiling right. of architects becoming majority uh, becoming a partner in a majority firm in the state. It wasn't just me because without him, I probably would have left that firm a lot earlier because of the things that were some of the things that were being said and some of the things that were done and trying to break those barriers. Uh, it wasn't something that you could do solo just right. like this. Right. right. You can't. None of this happens. Right. In our lives without other people, including the partners, uh, Jerry Abair and uh, Fred Grace, who gave me the opportunity to become, uh, hired me, right. and I transitioned to become a partner at 
that company and, and transitioned to my own company in 2005. Right. right. Well, you know, um, like you said, we can't do anything without great partners. Um, mm -hmm. A number of years ago, uh, we became uh, a joint at the hip, as, as I would say, <laughs> and you became the architect of record for uh, my company, the P3 Group. Right. And one of the things that we made a commitment uh, to was that we were going to focus on uh, serving underserved communities right. and trying to, to deliver uh, projects that would change the landscape of mm -hmm. uh, communities. Uh, how has that relationship between the P3 Group and CASM helped shape your vision at CASM? Uh, you know, I think that followership, you hear me say this all the time, followership is underrated. Uh, there's not a lot of folks I would follow. Uh, I lead my own group, right? right? But I think it's so important to see folks like yourself. Uh, this is not about me, right? This is about taking the opportunity to support someone that looks like me from the same or similar streets as me. Right. And then giving you everything I got 100% to make us better right. right and those are the examples that we really need to follow is you know we got to figure out a way to support each other without anything no handout right. no kickback right not looking for anything in return Absolutely. except respect and high level achievement and over the last five years I mean you sitting in the yeah. chair speaks to the commitment to high level achievement, right? Right. And you know, the, the, so the commitment that I bring to the table to my team is listen, you can lead and you can follow simultaneously, but you still have to focus on being great. Right. Like if you're only focusing on being good, then that's not good enough within the circle that we're driving. Right. You have right. to want to be great. Right. right. And if you don't want to be great, then you probably shouldn't be on my team. Hey, look, I feel the same way. You've heard me talk about it a, a million times. Right. I'm a 150% guy. Right. Right. 100% uh, mean you you just want to be average. Right. I mean, because that's what you're supposed to do. That's what you're supposed if, to do. If you work at a job, if you work in a business, you're supposed to do what you're supposed to do every day, and that's 100%. And so going that extra mile is what makes you great, that extra 50%, that extra 100% that we have to give to get from point A to point B. The lion's attitude. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but one major project that you were um, played an instrumental role in, mm -hmm. people see it every time they fly into uh, Hartsfield, Atlanta uh, Airport. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the canopy uh, project that light up the uh, Atlanta skyline at mm -hmm. night flying into the airport. How significant was that project to you and, and really changing the, traje the trajectory of your, your company? ATL Next put Chasm on the map. It was an opportunity of a lifetime for me, and I almost didn't take the opportunity. Uh, I did not want to necessarily become an aviation airport or designer, right? Uh, I wanted to make sure that I didn't get in that space where a firm uh, designs a project or wins a project, and then that's all you do for the rest of your career. Yeah. Uh, and then I got approached by uh, a friend, uh, now friend, uh, at HOK and uh -huh. they invited us to participate in a joint venture and I said yes we also had an opportunity because that city of Atlanta allows you to participate as a joint venture meaning prime uh -huh. and as a consultant but I did not want to be labeled as a consultant in our own city right uh, and so we we walked away from that opportunity and we stayed as a joint venture partner on the airport and you know for us it was life-changing uh, it established us with a globally recognized design project as Prime. And then our friends 
with the other firm, right, uh, they understood that we actually did the work. A lot of times, firms get on these jobs and they're only there to meet a criteria for a DBE yeah. or some other certification. But we don't operate that way. We wanted to do the work. Right. We expanded our team. We grew in understanding and in intellect about how to manage a, you know, a, a very complicated project in an active 24-hour uh, airport right. with an active roadway with baggage and all the other things that are that come uh, to, to bear with a project of that right. nature. Right. And we've received many accolades for that project, including the 2021 ATO Next um, Maynard H. Jackson SOAR Award, uh, which anything that's named after Maynard H. Jackson right. Uh, as uh, as a minority-owned architectural firm is a phenomenal uh, no, achievement. No doubt about it. Uh, for me. You know, um, you advertise on your website and some of your other brochures that you all are a break from the norm. Mm -hmm. What does that statement mean? Um, big fish, big pond. You know, move to Atlanta because I, Atlanta is a land of opportunity for someone who's look, who looks like me, who wants to do great work, and uh, we are a break from the norm. We're not what you would typically think that an architectural firm is. We are right. led by an African-American leader. Uh, we are doing multiple large-scale projects. Our span of projects is in you know, multiple states. We are the architect of record for the nation's largest minority-owned P3 company, right? right. Uh, we are doing work in multiple facets. So that break from the norm is it's just basically saying don't put us in a box because the box doesn't exist for a company that's continuously evolving. Right. And I know uh, just from our long relationship that one of the things you have a lot, you place a lot of value in is relationships. Yeah. And you have been the architect of record for Blue Cross Blue Shield of yes. Louisiana for more than a decade. Mm -hmm. And that says a lot about uh, you being able to uh, maintain long-term positive relationships with yes. your clients and, and partners. Uh, how instrumental has that contract and that relationship with Blue Cross Blue Shield been for your company? That relationship is paramount. I mean, without Blue Cross Blue Shield, we would not have been able to get through the recession. Uh, those types of relationships where you give your best to a company and they in turn uh, give their best back to you through the relationship, right, right? right? And I think that the most important thing that you can do is give anyone, any human, everything you got. And if they give you, if you give them everything that you have, then they give you everything they have, and that's what makes it, mm -hmm. you know, one of the best relationships that you can have. And it, it exceeds business, right? Our relationship exceeds business. Right, absolutely. I mean, I call you on a Sunday just to, right. just to mess with you. <laughs> right. Like, I'm on your show now just to make you smirk, right? <laughs> so, you know, our, our, the relationships have to be much deeper right. uh, than that, especially when you're sitting in the seat of CEO, because I don't want to get up in the morning and work. I want to get up in the morning and do what I love. Right. And then I want to inspire people based upon the things that I love so that they, they can then do the thing that they love, whether it's in my industry or not. Right, right. You are, uh, academically, you have uh, led courses for AIA, mm -hmm. uh, one of which was managing through a downturn. Yeah. Talk to me about that, especially coming uh, through this pandemic and seeing all of the businesses that were impacted. Uh, what was that course about? That course was really about how do you manage your staff? How do you manage your company? 
what are you thinking about strategically that sets you apart and puts you in a different level? And I think what we're seeing industry-wide, not just in architecture, but in every space, is professionals are going to be professionals. Right. And if you allow those professionals to work from home, then you don't have to be a, a, you know, a professional babysitter uh, by uh, standing over someone's shoulder uh, to manage how they are operating uh, within, the, within the corporation. So I think that's, that whole session was really about what are the new trends? What yeah. are the old trends? What are the new uh, owners and uh, leaders? What do you need to consider when you're attracting staff? What do you need to consider when you're maintaining, trying to maintain a balanced culture and then grow in that culture so that it can transition through a COVID-19 pandemic? Right. And you know, those things are very important, especially now when you, know, you have folks that don't want to go back to work full time right. in the office. Uh, we just implemented uh, Monday, uh, stay home. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, come to the office. Friday, you know, your option. And those yeah. are the kinds of things and strategies right. that companies are going to have to trend to in order to manage through no, a post-COVID, no. you know, Right, absolutely. You, we implemented the uh, same thing. We, we implemented the uh, Friday okay. uh, work from home mm -hmm. uh, program. And I think COVID taught us that we can still get things done without being in the office. And right. so that was a great um I think solution for for me and, yeah. and my team, yeah. but Nate, you know, you are always a great guest, and man, I have enjoyed you being on the show. Absolutely, and uh, I, I wish Chasm all the best, and obviously we'll have a long, prosperous relationship together. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for being on the skies on the. Uh, thank you so much for being on Self Made. <laughs> <laughs> my and, pleasure. Thanks again, Nate, for being on Self Made, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. And to my viewers, thank you for watching. Without you, there's no me.